Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have a short but very high-quality conversation with a very special guest. He is author and sports psychologist, Dr. Patrick Cohn. The books he's written include Going Low, How to Break Your Individual Golf Scoring Barrier, The Mental Game of Golf, A Guide to Peak Performance, The Mental Art of Putting, Using Your Mind to Putt Your Best, and Peak Performance Golf. He is the president and founder of Peak Performance Sports in Orlando, and he works with some of the best players in the game. But before we get into the episode, I want to remind you about my weekly newsletter, The Mental Regrip. In it will be a weekly mental game tip that will give you something to think about and work on going into the next week of golf. Uh, I got some feedback from someone that said the newsletter went into their spam folder. You could consider it spam, I guess, technically, but I, I, I don't. I don't consider it spam. So maybe look in your spam folder if you... Um, when you took the mental game assessment, you said, yes, you would like to receive a weekly mental game tip. Um, that's the uh, basis for who I sent the newsletter to. So if you remember doing that and you do want the mental game, the mental regrip newsletter, check your spam folder. If you haven't seen it yet, there should have been two already. And then one more will be coming out. I mean, it'll be coming out again the day after this is released. Um, so yeah, check your spam folder. Um, but if you haven't signed up for it yet, the link to sign up for the Mental Regrip newsletter is foundationsmp.com slash newsletter. And that link will be in the show notes, so you don't have to memorize that. And uh, for those of you Mental Golf Show listeners, I know this one applies directly to you. I created a topic suggestion box because I I would get emails from from players or listeners suggesting topics, but they would have to write out a whole email with their context and things about themselves. And I love hearing those. Like you can always send those to me at mentalgolfshow at gmail.com. But I just wanted a quick way for you to suggest a topic. Like I'd love for Josh to do an episode about the shanks, or I'd love for Josh to do an episode about mental fatigue. I don't know, whatever you want to do. I've got a list of my own stuff, but if you're topic suggestion happens enough or it's compelling enough and or it's just something I never thought of, which is highly likely knowing me, that it would be a great place for me to see it. It will it will get through the noise uh, and I'll be able to see some some of your suggestions. So that link is foundationsmp.com slash suggestion. And that link will also be in the show notes. They'll both be there. Uh, I might even put both on the top this time just so you that's the first thing you see. Um, so yeah, I, I hope you have suggestions, but I, even more so than that, I hope you post them. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into the episode with Dr. Patrick Cohn. Hi, I'm Dr. Patrick Cohn with Peak Performance Sports. Um, I've been doing mental coaching with athletes um, and golfers alike since about, oh, probably the mid-80s, I would say. So over 30 years, I've been doing mental training. I originally started uh, at Cal State Fullerton with a guy named Ken Revisa and um, uh, got my master's at, with Ken, and he kind of showed me the ropes and 
he suggested I go work with Dr. Bob Rotella at um, University of Virginia, and I did that. Uh, I went and enrolled at UVA and uh, finished uh, in the early 90s there in 91 with Dr. Bob Rotella. Um, I taught for two years um, uh, sports psychology at a couple of universities and then just decided to go out on my own and do the mental training. So, um, and that's when I started peak performance sports uh, after I finished um, teaching for two years. And um, yeah, and I've worked with um, several tour pros over the years as well. And really that's where I started is working with tour pros. And um, I've also written four books um, on golf psychology as well, including the mental game of golf. Great. Yeah. I've, uh, I've read uh, several chunks of those books. I've, I'm a bad reader, so I haven't completed any, but uh, it's, it's good stuff. I recommend it to anybody. Um, so we'll get right into like the, the nitty gritty of it. This is, you have your own mental podcast. This is the mental golf show. So we'll talk about mental stuff. Um, just to like get, get right into it. What kind of things do you do with your players to let's say prepare them for the stress of a difficult round just to jump right into to detail? Well, it depends on the golfer um, and what they need or, or what he or she needs. Um, but we work with a ton of perfectionist golfers for whatever reason. Maybe that's the golfer we attract. Um, and that's the golfer that tends to struggle with taking their practice game to competition uh, readily. They might shoot, you know, 78 in the practice round, but then they go and they'll, sh- or they'll go and shoot 82 or 85 in the actual tournament round for, for maybe a college level golfer, for example. Um, so we spend a lot of time helping manage the perfectionism for golfers. And um, when it comes to gearing up, we like them to switch their training over. So they're working more on touch and feel around the greens and not adding anything new to their golf swing and really working more on consistency leading up to a tournament um, and what we call tapering off the, uh, the mindset associated with trying to improve in practice. So that's our, our main thing when we want them to get ready for tournaments. And then also we certainly talk about the mental preparation aspect um, that goes into any tournament for them, you know, whether it's a big tournament or whether it's just another uh, local tournament they may be doing. Right. So you, you kind of advocate for a, maybe a ramping down of thinking about technique and ramping up of thinking more about feel. Is that kind of how you talk about it? Less technique, working more on consistency of the ball flight and the ball pattern, and also certainly working on, um, you know, their touch around the greens, chipping. And obviously if you can get in the conditions you're going to be playing in, like um, I remember Tiger Woods when he lapped the field um, at Augusta. I'm not sure what year that was, but he was still living at Isleworth. Um, And they sped up the greens for him at Isleworth. And he spent a lot of time putting on those fast greens. I think they sped him up to like 13, something that mimics – what he's going to see in Isleworth. Well, guess what? 
he didn't have one three putt that whole week. So we call that specificity training or training in a way that's going to mimic what you're going to see. Um, it's really hard for the tour professionals because they might be on bent and then they might go to Poiana and then they might go to Bermuda. And so they have to adjust to the different grains and the different greens. But from a practice strategy, yes, you want golfers to practice in the conditions that they're going to be on and not practice on a nine on the stint meter and then have to go play on a 12 on the stint meter. Professionals can adjust. Um, a lot harder for amateurs to adjust, but it still makes it more difficult. Or really thick rough when you're chipping versus more like a stringy Bermuda rough. So that is one of the strategies that we talk about leading up to the tournament. And that's more just on the practice side, really. Right. So a lot of, you know, amateurs, average golfers listen to this. And um, I'm sure a lot of amateur, average amateurs listen to yours and have read your books. So if they, you know, they have their home course, they have their course that they always play at, and then they go play in the state amateur or they go play in the club championship and they have ramped up the greens and got the rough up over the last few days. How do they get into that mode without getting to prepare on the exact course conditions? Is there, is there a mental way to adjust in the fly or is it, is it something like that? Well, yeah. I mean, amateurs, I mean, they can practice that too as well at their home course. The key is make sure you practice all those shots around the green. Like, you know, the short game is extremely important. Work on the touch on the green of the tournament site. Um, spend an extra 10 minutes working on getting down the pace and the feel. Uh, in terms of chipping, find some places where it's difficult. Find some high rough, some, you know, string of Bermuda or whatever you might have, something um, that would mimic either um, a strong grass or a thin grass and just being able to work on touch. I mean, so amateurs can do the same uh, by working on their touch before they go and play. And then they're going to have to use what I call an educated decision on a shot that they haven't practiced, that they haven't played. They're going to have to figure it out. Well, is this a flyer or how is this going to come out? They have to really just, um, it comes down to guesswork. But we talk about, okay, you got to make a decision. You got to commit to a decision and a plan, a uh, bump and run, or whether you're going to uh, higher shot, more of a semi-lob or a medium shot. But then it really comes, the mental game really comes to the execution. Can you execute that shot uh, that you decided on that would be your best? Um, and then be able to go through with that without stopping on it or without hitting it harder than you wanted to at the last second. That's the biggest challenge for, for amateurs is carry through that shot that you decided on uh, that you were going to hit. And um, doesn't mean your judgment's always going to be perfect on how it's going to come out of the rough, but you can certainly execute the shot how you want it. Um, and that's the important stuff. We call it, you know, well-conceived and well-executed. Um, it's not always going to be a perfect conception because there are variables um, that you might be unaware of. So it's the same with reading greens. You're not going to be perfect at reading greens, but you certainly have to select the line based on your educated decision, your experience, your know-how, and try and stick with that uh, decision. That's right. And, and like one of your 
someone you mentioned already, one of your colleagues, uh, Dr. Rotella, says it's better to be committed and wrong than correct and doubtful, something along those lines. It's make your decision. Your decision might be wrong, but be dedicated and committed to it. That's what's more important because you're going to make a better technical motion at it, if so, right? Yeah, if you're indecisive, you can't make a good stroke. It's very hard to, um, yeah, if you're second-guessing your plan or you have doubt or you're indecisive, then it really short-circuits everything. Right. So let's say you get short-circuited during a round and, and things go bad. How do you instruct players, whether they're the best players in the world or they're run-of-the-mill amateurs, to move on from bad shots? Well, it starts with the expectation of, you know, what is a good shot and what is a bad shot. Often golfers, the, the perfectionist golfers that we work with, they have very high expectations for their performance. Um, and then so a marginal shot could be a bad shot for them, right? Um, so not to judge, that's where we start. And if you're not going to judge, then don't have any expectations about how it should look how it should feel, and the outcome of the shot. So perfectionists have what I call the triple whammy. They tend to judge those three aspects uh, um, every swing. And so if they're judging, then it creates more more havoc, and it's harder for them to move on uh, in that uh, round. But beyond that, um, we talk to them about what's the mental script in their head, if we use three putting as an example, that irks a lot of golfers that we tend to work with. Then what's so awful about that three putt? Well, I don't three putt on the practice green. Or I work on my putting too much to three putt. Or I just threw away a stroke. Um, so we, we try to get at that some of the script that they're saying to themselves that causes them to unravel out there, right? They're not going to be perfect. They're going to hit some bad shots. But when they do, to be able to change that internal script to something that's going to be more helpful for them. Um, and that's how we handle it. It's very cognitive uh, behavioral type of approach. Mm. I love that terminology, that kind of internal script of kind of the story you've written about yourself, what you expect yourself to see. So maybe without, you know, looking behind your veil too much, but like what kind of things might you work with players to change that script, to change their expectations? Is there like actual practices, exercises that kind of average players can do? Is it, is it something like that or is it deeper? Um, we do workbook exercises to make them aware of, first of all, what are those expectations? Um, I need to hit every shot solid. I need to hit every shot straight. I need to make all my short putts. Um, I can't make or I shouldn't. I call them, We call them the shoulds and the shouldn'ts, right? I shouldn't make a double bogey. I shouldn't three putt. I shouldn't miss an easy up and down. So we start with the awareness of what are that player's shoulds and shouldn'ts. And when they don't perform up to those shoulds, we call them the standards, right? Those unwritten standards they have for your, their game. Then that's when kind of they tend to get frustrated and upset with themselves. So that's on the front end going in, making them aware of what those expectations are, trying to get them to let go of those expectations and focus on small uh, objectives that are going to help them, like 
doing their homework, taking their time to do their homework and make a plan for the shot and commit to a shot uh, before they step up uh, over the ball. Then on the back end, we do the same thing. We have workbook exercises where we'll say, okay, what are the top five triggers? Triggers meaning the three putt, uh, missing easy up and down, making a uh, double bogey or, or, or triple. Um, and then we want to know specifically what is the script in their head that makes it so upsetting. So, for example, a three putting in and of itself doesn't have emotion. Um, the player puts the emotion into the three putt. It's just a fact. It took you three shots to get down. There's no emotion. So we try to get at that emotional component, uh, that script in their head, and we really try to get specific with what are you feeling, what are you thinking about um, after that three putt. Then we give them an alternate. You know, what would your coach tell you in that moment? after the three putt to help you move on. So helping golfers uh, kind of be more objective and step outside of their thinking process um, helps them considerably because now they have an alternate option. A lot of the work we do at Peak Performance Sports is to give them two different options, right? I should say, I should say an alternate option. The old script is the you know, their typical option. Then we give them a new option. Well, what about thinking this way? And so anticipating those scenarios and those triggers for them and then giving them the alternate uh, way of viewing, perceiving, um, maybe even rationalizing with themselves about that situation um, helps them move on. So that's the process. A lot of our stuff is awareness and education and then the application. Can you go out and take that out to the tournament? That's really good that I like that second alternate option. That's, that's really good. Um, so, so something that I've always struggled with and I say always like I've been doing this forever, but just something that's difficult as in the mental space, something that I've found difficult is tracking improvement over time is, I mean, even in like therapy or something, the, the more intangible things it's, it can be hard to track improvement. How do you, with your players, do you have a, a hard, you know, tangible way of tracking improvement or is it more just kind of self-reported improvement? Well, it is all self-report. Um, you can certainly look at statistics. If I'm working with a golfer that's got 36 putts around or is averaging 36 putts around, but's hitting 10 greens maybe. Well, that's obviously a weakness. And so we're going to investigate what's going on there. Is it three putts? Then we need to work on touch, right? Um, so if I see an improvement, and I'm working with a high school golfer now that was a referral to me uh, from a golf teacher that I used to work with when he was on the mini tour. Um, if I see he's now averaging 32 putts around, well, that's a huge improvement, Right. Some of that could just come from maturation and practice, certainly, but we don't try to take credit for any of those improvements, but we like to see those improvements and we don't guarantee improvements either. But 36 putts around isn't going to get it done. You know that, right? We want them at 30 or less. So, so you can look at some statistical things. Certainly, you could track some of the mental 
skills that they're doing out there, you could have them do that. But one of the tools we use, we start with a pre-coaching assessment that quantifies 15 mental skills, just focus and confidence and goals and things like that. Uh, Simple stuff. They put a number to it. Then at the end of the coaching, whether it's one month or three months or six months, then they'll redo that for us and we could see it improve. But the pro- once again, the problem is it's a self-test and it is self-report, um, So, which is prone to error and, uh, as you know, testing error. So um, we do rely on week to week with our discussions on how they're doing with the mental skill that we delivered the previous week. Um, and we'll ask them how they're doing with that and improving. So that's all we have to go on. Um, it's very hard to quanti- quantify the mental game other than looking at statistics. And then that's due to many, many factors. Right. And, and on some level, if they self-report being more confident or more committed on shots, then that's all the tracking of improvement that you need. Like, okay, you're more confident than we're doing our job, right? That's, that's good enough on some level. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we, we do like them to put a number to it. Hey, where did you start the round with from one to 10, 10 being very high confidence and one being zero? Well, they're not going to have zero confidence, but um, where were you? So that, that gives us a feel too, when they can put a number to it or a percentage to it, how many percents of uh, what, what's the percentage of all putts that you hit? where you were committed to the read. Um, and then they can come up with a rough number and stuff. But you also have memory gets in the way. So doing post-performance assessments is also important. That's just some simple questions that uh, relate to the mental skill that we're working on. Um, and it's a self-monitoring technique for them. Self-monitoring me, and this was my doctoral uh, dissertation at UVA, self-monitoring of your mental game is very, very important because it holds you somewhat accountable. If I'm going to ask you specific questions after the round, well, you're already held accountable during the round to do those things. So that's important as well. It's kind of like when people go on a diet, they self-monitor their calories. It's the same type of concept is knowing, oh, well, wow, that piece of cake is 300 calories. Maybe I shouldn't uh, indulge myself there. Yeah, and having just just having the awareness of what you're looking out for during the round is going to help you prevent it from happening. I think just that awareness piece is is a great start for that. Yes, absolutely. I know you're short on time, so I I want to just ask you two one listener question and then one final question. So the listener question is what level of outward frustration is acceptable on the golf course? Well, you have to ask yourself is it functional? <laughs> Does that help you release some tension? Is there some primal screaming to that? You're probably too young to remember the whole primal screaming phase, but um, does that help you let go of it? It, it, It's not functional at all if it's going to accelerate your intensity or it's going to get your heart rate up and it's going to get you rushing through shots, then it's not functional. So I would say uh, most of the time it's not helpful except for golfers that need a kick in the butt. Like I worked with the top 50 player in the world and he was always two or three over after four or five holes. 
Um, and then once he, he got a little bit angry and kicked himself in the butt, he was able to get it back to under par at the end of the round. So there's a certain population that that's going to be instrumental, but it's very, very uh, small population of golfers. So from an etiquette standpoint, zero. No one wants to play with a hothead. Uh, from a functional standpoint, 5%. Right. Yeah. It's and usually outward frustration means that there's a lot more going on even inside. So if it's boiling up so much to be outward, it's probably maybe too strong other than that small percentage. Well, and I'll add to that, whether it's outward or inward, it's still problematic. Good point. You know, you could be, you could look calm as, as ever on the outside, but if you're reeling on the inside um, and you're upset with a bad hole or a couple bad shots, it's going to have the exact same effect. Mm, good point. Okay, so finally, as we wrap up, something you I'm sure you've thought about and have heard people talk about is, and it's just a fun question I like to ask, um, what percent of golf is mental and what percent is physical? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> you don't say. Because <laughs> if it's a 10-year-old, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, 20% mental. But um, I'll answer it this way. Once all the practice is complete, doesn't matter if you're a 20 handicap or if you're a scratch golfer. Once all the, it's to me, it's then becomes 90%, 95% mental out there. That's when the mental game takes over. Your skills are what they are when you tee it up. Whether you have a great swing, whether you look like Tiger Woods or Lee Trevino or, or Jim Furyk, um, whatever swing you have, you got to make the most of that. And that's going to come down more to the mental game and being able to manage the mistakes, uh, being able to put your mind in a good position to hit a good shot every time or a relatively good shot and avoid those hu huge misses. So to me, once all that practice is complete, the mental game is absolutely huge. But leading up to it, then we might say, well, the, the practice and the physical game might be more than 50% uh, of the game because you're preparing to have confidence and trust in your swing. Yeah, well said. It's uh, It varies. It fluxes all the time. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this for me. I, I know you got to get out of here. So uh, thank you so much. All right. And people can find me at the Golf Psychology Podcast. Thank you. I, I was going to, I meant to ask you. I'm glad you said that. Okay. Golf Psychology yes. Podcast, everybody. Listen to that one. All right. Thanks for having me. See you, Dr. Cohn. Bye, Josh. All right, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode, that conversation um, with Dr. Cohn. It was short, but it was sweet. I, I really did enjoy that. Uh, he's got some great insights. I, I hope to have him on again sometime in the future where we can do maybe a little longer. Um, but yes, uh, again, check out Dr. Cohn's podcast, the Golf Psychology Podcast. Yes, that is... Sounds like a direct competitor to the mental golf show, but that's okay. There's plenty of love to go around. There's there's plenty of golf, mental game, psychology stuff in the podcast world to go around. So go check out his podcast, The Golf Psychology Podcast. And to check out more about him and his business, uh, go to his website, peaksports.com. His company is called Peak Performance Sports. So go for sure go check that out. 
And like I always say at the end of these episodes, um, if you're interested in one-on-one coaching and you want to work on your mental game specifically, rather than like you you feel like you've gotten enough out of this podcast or you've gotten enough out of Dr. Cohn's podcast, you should work with someone like Dr. Cohn or myself. We specialize in working directly with players one-on-one with the situations that they are going through. It's hard to address those specific situations just with random listener questions or with random topic ideas. But what he and I specialize in is working one-on-one with players. So I am a mental coach and I do sessions with players. It's just like a, a swing lesson, basically. What I do specifically with players is they sign up for a coaching plan with me and then we set up a time for their first session. And in that first session, we we get some context on them. Give me your background. How have you arrived at this situation? Why do you feel like you need mental coaching? What is mental coaching to you? Why is it important? What do you think you need to improve on specifically? And we get all of that uh, context on the player. And then we get to work. We start talking through why do you tend to struggle in this situation? Why, why does this bother you? And then as we go, I will give players specific exercises that address their weaknesses. And we will design a practice plan that will that'll help them prioritize their schedule and plan plan their week around the different components of practice. And those those are some of the things that we will do that I will do with players. So if you feel like that's something you would like to do, if you'd like to work with me one-on-one as a mental coach, email me directly, foundationsgolf at gmail.com. That's foundationsgolf at gmail.com. Or you can head straight to my website and get some more information there. The website is foundationsmp.com. My company is Foundations Mental Performance, so the website is foundationsmp.com. Okay, enough of the uh, advertising, (laughs) the sales pitchy stuff. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate every time you guys show up and listen to the Mental Golf Show. It means a lot. Um, the podcast is still growing, uh, so that's a good thing. As long as we're growing, we're, we're doing something right. Again, if you have any topic suggestions, drop those in foundationsmp.com slash suggestion. I, I need new ideas. I run out. I, things get stale. I think of the same things over and over. Give me your suggestions. Give me something fresh. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. I will catch you guys in the next one.